honoring our loved ones means respecting and appreciating them, learning about them and perpetuating their stories and life lessons after they're gone. New York Times bestselling author, Brendan Burchard. Welcome back to season 10 of the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, where we connect the science-based evidence behind social and emotional learning that's finally being taught in our schools today and emotional intelligence training used in our modern workplaces for improved well-being, achievement, productivity, and results. Using what I saw as the missing link, the application of practical neuroscience. I'm Andrea Samadhi, an author and an educator with a passion for learning, and launched this podcast five years ago with the goal of bringing all the leading experts together in one place to uncover the most current research that would bring back how the brain learns best by taking us all to new and often unimaginable heights. For today's episode number 300, I wanted to do something special, something magical for this important milestone, and I knew what it would be a few months ago. Listeners who tune into this podcast might know that I bring guests on to help all of us to learn and apply the most current research to help us to improve our productivity and our results, but there's a lot more to it than that. I heard author and speaker Brendan Burchard explain this concept in 2014 when I first began interviewing experts, and his thoughts changed me deeply. In his YouTube video, Interview Those You Love Before They're Gone, he asks, how do you honor people who are important to you? You know, the people who've taught you something that changed you in a positive way. Some people send gifts to these people, but not Brendan. He made a pact to do something unique to honor these change makers. And when I heard what he did, I thought, I want to do exactly the same thing as Brendan Burchard. After all, he's the author of the book, High Performance Habits, How Extraordinary People Became That Way. He suggested that a special way to honor someone who's made a difference in your life is to interview them and ask them their words of wisdom that will be recorded for you and others to hear forever. So that's exactly what I've done with this podcast, starting with my husband, Majid Samadhi, who influences me daily. And then if you look through the guests I've asked to come on the podcast, you'll now know that they were all intentional for me to honor the difference that they made with my work, with my character, the direction and understanding this thing we all call life and how to live the good life. Brendan suggests that instead of sending them a gift, the best way to honor these people in your life is to first of all, tell them directly the difference they've made for you, how specifically they've helped you, and then carry their voice forward in yours with an interview. And I know that each person I've interviewed has a clear picture of how they've helped me specifically, and now their message helps others all around the world. And I've got to say that sometimes the messages you'll receive from others to improve yourself aren't easy to hear. But if they're delivered with love, with your growth in mind, 
listening to this feedback can make a profound difference in your life. I'll never forget the interview I did with best-selling author John Asraf from episode 39 that was actually recorded in 2015 because it was John who gave me feedback on the program that I created that was going into the schools. He told me directly, face-to-face, that I had to redo everything, and he used the exact words that I clearly haven't forgotten today. He said, your baby, which was my membership site at the time, is ugly. And he said, you can't charge people money for this. And I remember thinking, well, shoot, if I had millions of dollars in my bank like you, I wouldn't have had to code the whole website on my own. But I put my defensive mind aside and I redid the site before I sold it to anyone. And then when my programs went into the schools, I had more feedback and an uncomfortable sort of meeting with an educator who told me all the parts of the work that he recommended I change, replacing the old with the most current brain research that at the time I knew nothing about. And I didn't like hearing this feedback at all. And it was a lot of hard work to fix the membership site with John's feedback and then write a whole new book with Jeff Klecks. But I'm so grateful for everyone who gave me advice to improve personally and professionally. And I'm sure you can think of those who've done this for you. Imagine if we all reached out to those who impacted us this way, let them know how they helped us, and then glean some wisdom from them to help others. Imagine a world like this. So that's what I've done since 2019 with this podcast. I've been very intentional about who I've asked on as a guest. And today's guest is someone very special in my life. She's responsible for the person I am today, literally. Today's guest is my mom, Hazel McPhail. My mom will join my husband, Majid Samadi and I, for a conversation that I hope will bring some insight to you wherever you tune in around the world. My mom was born August 10th, 1943, in Hazelmere, Surrey, England, and she was named Hazel Frances Bernhardt. She married my dad, Francis, who went by Frank McPhail, in the 60s, and then they immigrated to Canada with my two sisters, Karen and Christine, in 1973. She met my dad in the karaoke club that she said was a coffee bar hangout for young people on the seafront at Worthing, Sussex, her mom's hometown, and where she spent the first 10 years of her life before moving to Goring in Sussex, a few miles away. I was two when my parents emigrated to Toronto, Canada, where I grew up before moving to the U.S. in early 2001. My mom will answer the questions I've picked out for her from a unique perspective of someone who had to start her life over from scratch in a new country And Majid will bring his experiences of moving to the U.S. from Iran when he was 10. I'm hoping you'll find their insight and ideas on how to start out at the bottom of an organization and end up at the top to be empowering, inspiring, and useful as they'll both share their legacy stories from the point of view of someone who had to build something out of nothing. Let's meet my mom, Hazel McPhail, and welcome Majid Samadi back for his fourth time on the podcast. And I'm going to ask them some of the questions that New York Times bestselling author, Brendan Burchard suggests for interviewing someone you love. 
Welcome, Hazel and Majid. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Mom. I think it's been a really long time since I called you Hazel, maybe since back when I was teaching you how to swim back at Douglas Snow Aquatic Center. So I want to welcome you today to the podcast and welcome back, Majid, for your fourth time. Thank you for having me, Andrea. Absolutely. And if you if you recognize this, I've got your lucky necklace on today. Oh, yeah. Well, so so mom, I know that by now, you know, I do these podcasts and I interview people all over the world and just glean advice from them. So today I wanted to ask you some questions um, and with Majid along with us today to just gather some words of wisdom for our audience around the world and maybe just orient, start off with orienting our listeners to your background. Mom, what comes to mind when you think about growing up in England? I'll start with you and then we'll go to Majid with his uh, background growing up in Iran. Um, I was a post-war baby and uh, England after the war was very poverty struck uh, we couldn't get candies or sugar or sweets or anything like that. So we bartered a lot. And it was against the law to barter using your coupons. But most of our um, uh, customers were uh, policemen. So we were never arrested. And growing up in England as a young kid, incredible freedom, incredible freedom. I had the ability to roam all over the South Downs, you know, with my brothers and swim in the ocean my mother went to work the house was empty I could do what I liked I cooked fried rice for my brother I didn't know you had to boil it first so I nearly killed him but anyhow we did things like that I cooked for the kids I had four five four brothers to look after while my mother worked so but I had incredible freedom I used to take them all over the place well, it sounds beautiful, Mom. Uh, I just wonder, Majid, was your life in Iran growing up? What did the picture look like for you? So it it, it was it was good, uh, but just different, right? So it's um when when I when I grew up in Iran, I was I was born in Iran. And I, I lived there till I was ten. Um, during a good part of it, we had the war. We lived through a war with Iraq at the time. And, um, you know, it was uh, Iran is a beautiful country with lots of resources. And and, um, you know, I still have all my family there. And uh, during the war, you know, it's uh, we made the best of it. But there were there were times that, you know, the the, uh, the Iraqi planes would come by and, you know, the cities would shut down power and you could see the planes in the sky, the, the, the war uh, planes. And you'd have to run to the middle of the house because you hear the sirens and, um, you know, bombs would be dropped and you could hear like glass shattering and you could hear the impact points and stuff. So it was it was, um, you know, it was a life that um, was good because you had, you lived with family in a place where you love. But um, at the same time, it made it challenging. And and that's the reason why my parents just got up and, and um, moved us to the U.S. So that this way we weren't exposed with that. Every parent wants the best for their kids, uh, for their lives. So they made that decision to get up and move over over to the U.S. So um, you know, again, it was. A, I remember swimming in the uh, the ocean as well too, uh, Hazel as well. We had an ocean as well that we used to go swimming and uh, beautiful uh, northern weather and so on. But um, you know, it's just a just a different experience overall. 
So, Mom, uh, Majid talked a little bit about what made his parents want to come over to the U.S. What made you and Dad decide to emigrate to Canada, of all places? Um, opportunity for work. There wasn't a lot of work in, in Great Britain. Um, my husband, Frank, he had a lot of trouble getting carp carpentry work. It was well paid if you could get it, but there were so many people looking for work and so many people out of work. He had to travel a long way over Britain, all over Britain, to find a job. And often I was just left with the kids and it wasn't ideal. And his sister was already in Canada and she kept on coming over and visiting us when she came. And she was always talking about how wonderful it was and how much and how much better off we would be. And it was sort of um, it was something that we decided we would do. We would emigrate. We would do that. And if we didn't like it, as my mother always said and hoped we didn't like it, um, we could always come back and there would always be a home for us in Britain where, if we did. So we did. We um, we emigrated. And. Uh, I was very unhappy at first. I was so homesick, but I stuck it out. I had to. You couldn't just emigrate and then go back the following week. So, <laughs> so I stuck it out and, yeah, I grew to like it very much. Much better for me with the standard of living that I have now than what I would have had if I'd have stayed in Britain. Got it. And Majid, what about you um, coming from Iran without knowing the language? What was that like for you going into the U.S. school system? Yeah, it was a, it was a challenge for sure. Um, but again, nothing's easy in life. So I remember coming over, we started fifth grade in the U.S. and um, we, we all moved to California um, where I went to school in fifth grade. And I remember sitting in, in a classroom uh, where they put a textbook in front of me and they were coming up and asking me questions and I had no idea what they were asking me. Uh, the only word I knew was yes. So they could have been like, are, are you stupid? Yes. <laughs> right. So I had no idea what they were asking. And it's, it was, it's, it's been a life journey really to, uh, to learn the language. And they say, you know, you're always a, once you're an EL, ELL student, ESL student, you're, um, you have a life journey in, in learning the language. So I still, you know, as you know, Andrea, there's a lot of times that when I write stuff, I have you just go over it just to make sure that, you know, every, the grammar is correct and the spelling and all those things, um, because it is it's it's a it's a life process and mastering the language. So um, it was it the language was probably the biggest challenge, but, you know, it gave us the opportunities to really come to the U.S. Um, and have a have a really good life. Um, you know, it's a land of abundance compared to where we were in Iran. And, um, you know, it created all the different opportunities for us. It, it allowed me to go into this career of um, being in educational publishing. Um, it, it gave us the opportunity for everybody to meet, right? Would have never met you, Hazel. I would have never met Andrea if we, we hadn't come to the U.S. If you guys hadn't gone over to Canada as well, too, right? So it, it, it um, you know, life, has, life is a journey and, and you follow that journey as you go through it. There is, um, there's no shortcuts. There is no... Uh, you know, getting off course. Now, my next question, I chose it specifically because you both came over to a new country and started from the bottom and you rose to the top in your field. So I just wonder, Mom, Hazel, how did you choose your career 
And in the beginning, just begin with how did you choose it? Okay, I didn't choose it. Ah. Um, I was just looking for work, anything, anything at all, because um, I just needed work. And I saw I was a a hello girl, a switchboard operator in Great Britain. That was my job. I worked a lot on the emergency because I was fast and we had a thing called ACS. And they tested you on that. And it was called accuracy, courtesy and speed. And you didn't know when people were looking in or listening into you from the, the switchboard. And they chose me to be on the emergency because I had those three um, things. I was accurate and I was polite, courteous, and I was fast. So I knew that I could do the switchboard. So any job that came along with a switchboard, I thought, yeah, I'll get that one. And the switchboard opportunity arrived for me at Sun Life. And uh, it was just a two, it was the smallest switchboard I've ever seen in my life. It was just like two phones, really. And uh, so it was a piece of cake for me. Uh, It was a part-time job. And I think I was paid in cash by my boss, Joe Gray. He paid me in cash every week. And it was enough to buy all our groceries. So um, it wasn't a fortune. And uh, I stayed on the switchboard for a while. And then one day I was asked if I would like to go because of my handwriting which they thought was spectacular, I was asked if I would like to do some work for the office at the switchboard. I said, I didn't care. I would do anything. And that was one thing that got me on the the road to getting into the office in the end. Now, people wouldn't know, Mum, that you do fancy calligraphy and you spent hours perfecting that craft. So your handwriting was good, um, but you put some extra hours in to learn calligraphy. Did you think that that would add to your career when you were? Absolutely did, because I used to do all the posters for their promotions in my handwriting and and stuff. So, yeah, it absolutely did. But it took away from my switchboard, uh, um, you know, took away from, I couldn't do two things at once. So they put me in the office. And uh, after a little while, uh, they asked if I would look after a group of people and be a unit, what they called a unit head. And I, I said, yeah, OK, it was a, it was more money. I didn't care for the job too much, but it was more money. Right. So, you had your eye on what you needed for the family. Absolutely. Yeah, and I remember all of this. So you became the an office manager at Sun Life, and and I, I remember did after a few years, yeah, eventually. Years. And I remember well because I remember getting into some trouble with something in my teen years, and I I was punished, and I was uh, my punishment was to go in and clean all of Joe Gray's trophies, which you know it wasn't the worst thing I could have had to do in the summer, but I remember up there and I got to see your work and what you did and and all of that. Remember that time when I got yeah, involved? I do, and I remember Joe. I I was talking to Joe Gray. I said, my daughter's being a bit of a nuisance. He said, send her up here and I'll get her to clean my trophies. And, <laughs> and we still laugh about that today. Well, well, you picked someone that enjoys cleaning and you, you gave me a job. So it wasn't the worst thing I could have done. So it, it wasn't, I got to see what your work life was like. And, mm-hmm. and then to watch you go through the ranks, I kind of explain how did you go from switchboard to 
where you ended up at the end? The, the, the it was final. just basically because um, people, I, I like the people that I work with, and we they asked me to do many things that were nothing to do with sun life. Um, I, I did birthday cards for people. I did a lot of my writing stuff. Um, uh, they liked my voice when I was speaking, you know, and um, I I got along with everybody. A lot of jokes, a lot of pranks and things like that, or carrying on and stuff like that. We had a lot of parties and we had a lot of fun. And then one day, one of the supervisors got up and decided they didn't want to work in that place anymore. And I was asked if I would like to take the supervisor's job. And uh, I said, yeah, okay. It was it was super money compared to what I was getting on the switchboard. And it meant I had regular hours. Yeah. You know, it was a full-time job. But that was that was a downside. But because of the money your dad said that's great he says we'll we'll sort it out between us and yeah you can have the car sometimes and I'll take the car sometimes and then I got the old the silver bullet remember Andrea yeah, the one that blew up and the one that blew up because you kept driving it to death <laughs> and who was at Arnog had to come rescue me and drive the smoking black car home so I didn't have to do it oh fun times fun times for sure um Majid, if we could go with you, we've kind of gone through mom's progression for how she went and started at the bottom and learned some new skills to get noticed with her career. What happened with you with Pearson and how did you how did you start in publishing and get to where you are today? And we've, we've got some exciting stuff that's happening that were fingers crossed for Majid as well. So, so Natty, it's great to hear some of the stories to hear that Andrew getting in trouble and having to go yeah. polish trophies. I don't yeah. think I've heard that one. And <laughs> and the, the car story I had I could tell you a lot on my own. Kid. Oh, yeah. You, you, you've, you've had an amazing uh, journey in, in your professional career. And I, I remember hearing all the stories about it. And when you said we had lots of laughs, we always have lots of laughs together. You're, you're just such an amazing person. So thank, thank you. you for being her, her role model. But you know, as as far as uh, Pearson, I started off. Um, I was going to college at the at the same at the when I was going through college. Um, I was working. I was twenty years old, and I worked for a, a car rental company before even that. And I was their top producer within the first couple of months. So I was twenty years old. They gave me my own office, and um, I had seven people working for me. I was a general manager. The funny part was that I had a company car at twenty years old, but I. Um, I couldn't rent a car because I was still I was too young because you had to be 21 to rent a car. But I had a company car, which is which was funny. But, um, you know, the hours were just really long and I was going I was putting myself through school. So I uh, transitioned over to um, I wanted to get into educational sales, something that really had a meaning for me. And um, so I left uh, having my own office and employees reporting to me to go. Uh, I went through a temp agency and I was placed with Pearson Education as a temp as a sales support. And within the first month, the VP of sales came over to me and said, hey, um, he, he kept asking me to do projects and I and I did them. Um, he asked me to fill in for some of the sales reps that weren't there and I was filling in. And after the first month, he comes to me, he's like, hey, can I ask you something? I said, sure. His name was Peter Duham all the time. And he said, why are you not a sales rep? And um, I told him, I said, oh, you know, I'm focusing on school and everything else. He goes, how about if you can go to school and be a sales rep for New York City uh, for Pearson at the same time? 
And uh, I said, sure, I'll try it. And he went to go put the paperwork through. We interviewed and everything else. And at the time, Pearson wasn't there yet. It was Prentice Hall. Um, and um, they were merging with Longman to create Pearson Education. And they were, adopt they were adopting Longman's policies where you have to have a college degree in order to go into sales. So that stopped it. But um, he's, you know, he said, he goes, as soon as you finish a college degree, there'll be a sales job waiting for you. And the day I did finish, I let him know. And um, within the first month, uh, I was a sell I became a sales rep in New York City for Pearson. But, um, you know, I, I went through sales. Um, I, I was successful. I did well. And then I was promoted to a manager uh, managing the, uh, New York City. And, um, you know, it was it was it was a good transition for me. And that that was my first taste um, as far as educational sales management. And that's something that I've always uh, followed through in my career. Um, I've, I've worked with some of the biggest companies uh, out there, Houghton Mifflin, Scholastic, uh, Pearson, uh, Cambium Learning. And um, I really enjoy being a sales leader where I can help my team members be successful. For me, their success is the most important thing. And, um, you know, we continue to do good work because um, we could be in sales doing anything we want. But when you have the passion of serving the kids and really making an impact with teachers and, and students, that's what really gives you meaning in your career. So uh, I've been very thankful for every opportunity that I've had um, in sales. So, so now, Majid, I want to ask you this question and I want to ask the same one to, to my mom. And I think I know the answer, but it just brings everything full circle with your background. What do you think it was that made you so successful selling at Pearson Longman? Mass sampling. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Uh, what um, it's it's uh, with Pearson Longman. What made it, what made it uh, so much fun, and where I had I had a lot of success around was we sold ESL materials, and for me going and being an ESL student where I had to learn the language, it had the most meaning and, and definition for me. Um, I remember being a sales rep and going to meeting with principals in New York City and then uh, sitting in a class ESL classrooms to see how the programs were being used. And I remember teachers and principals asking me and saying, hey, can you come sit down and have lunch with our kids? Uh, bring your lunch and, and uh, sit down and share your story so that I can see that you know you're always not going to be a struggling learner you're going to learn the language and you're going to progress in life um so just come and share some of your values and i remember sitting down and having having lunch with the kids and talking about my story and and it was it was so impactful for me and i hope it was the same the other way around um i have a feeling that it was because they used to look at me like i was a like a movie star or something like that coming and having a, having a discussion with them and um you know there's there's nothing that means more than than that to to have that experience and make it an impact in somebody else's life, but that's that's why I think the success was there for Pearson in the early years. Definitely, and Mom, you might not know this, but Majid gave me some advice um, that worked really well in New York. He said, "Why don't you try and mass sample um, in Arizona?" and got me in really big trouble um, because sending. Um, samples to all the schools in Arizona is much different than a compact uh, place like New York City. So um, I, I ended up with pallets of books at my front door and my manager calling me saying, who told you to mass sample every school in Arizona? I'm like, Jid told me. I think that's a great idea. Right? <laughs> uh, and then they even called her and said, hey, yeah, we have to shut down the warehouse because there was too many things going out. 
the whole warehouse shut down. Yeah. And it was all Majid's fault because uh, that was the strategy that worked well in, in New York City, but it, it didn't cut it in Arizona. But I remember the connections with the students, Majid, because you you when you're sitting there with students that don't know how to speak, that there's nothing like someone like Majid that could say, hey, I didn't know either. And this is where I am now, kind of giving them a vision. What do you think it was, Mom, about you that made you so successful at Sun Life? Well, I never turned any job down. Whatever I was asked to do, I did. And even if it wasn't, I never said, that's not my job. Like a lot of them did. Oh, I've never done that before. So I, I'd say, oh, I'll give it a try. You know, I did everything. Whatever they asked me to do, if they brought me some some um, math, um, some stuff to do, some letters to write, whatever it was, I did adding up their accounts, getting their stuff ready for them to submit, which they should have been doing themselves, you know, for submitting for their tax. I did everything, whatever they asked. And I was told, I, I, I don't know, because that's saying it myself is not, I was told I was polite and always smiling and friendly and good and very quick with a joke. So I think that got me somewhere. <laughs> Definitely. Mom, and I know it wasn't always peaches and cream at Sunlight. Oh. I remember a lot of the stuff that, that you would go through as a manager. So I just wonder what helped you through difficult times, uh, running, looking after all these people with all the problems that come forward in their lives? I, I, the problems that they had, I found quite, um, I, I don't know, interesting uh, and how asked how they were going to deal with it and, and if they couldn't see a way we try and work them out and I think I had an open door policy to don't start don't moan come to me first you know because there, there were I was in charge of 26 staff and there were 150 sales agents that we looked after so if they had a row with one of the sales agents it upset them we, they, they went off mad and didn't bring any business in that week or that day. So it affected the whole company. So we had a, I had a policy, don't fight with them, come to me first. Because then I would go and see the, 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 the guy or the problem, whatever it was, and try and fix it. And we would usually wind up having a cup of coffee and they would take the girl out to lunch or something. And it was all fixed, you know. It was just sitting and chatting and saying, you know, that doesn't really matter. You know, it's not important. You know, don't don't get upset about that. Because some girls get upset easily. You've only got to say a, 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 a crossword to them, you know, like, why didn't you do that? And they say, I'm leaving, you know. <laughs> so, I'm quitting. So I'm out of here. You know, no, I, no I hate him. Yeah, it's no different um, than I think issues that we go through today. And you're talking yeah. about years ago. Majid, yeah. can you explain what you do that you think gets your team members through difficult times and all that we have going on, family and issues? What what strategies do you use? Um, probably a couple different things. I think one thing at the end we have to remember that we're all we're all human, right? There's going to be all challenges. There's going to be nothing's going to be perfect, right? Um, so I think we have to stick to um, to the foundations, right? As far as work work wise, we um, you know we're all doing this to make an impact with teachers and students. Uh, at the same time, the 
our team members are our family, right? They're our second family. We have, we spend so much time working together. Um, so just, just to be respectful with each other, right. It's uh, making sure that when there are challenges, we have just like, just like Hazel said, right. It's the same thing. Just sit down and have conversations. Let's, you know, sometimes you might think something is a really big problem or a big issue, but when you really sit down and talk about it, it could be just your perspective, or it could be just something small that you think might be a really big deal that, um, people might not, might, other people will not pay attention to, right? So it's it's really sitting down and having those conversations and just um, as long as we all act in a professional manner, right? It's, um, there there is no, there is no problem that's big enough. We can always work together and solve it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mom, go, going to you, what do you think most shaped your life? If you look back over all the events, could you pick out what do you think was the most impactful for you? Having a difficult childhood, really. Um, having to look after a whole family while both my parents were working at a very young age. I was cooking at eight years of age. Um, I was looking after my little brothers. Um, my mum was at work. My dad was at work. And I just... I, I I asked neighbours think when things were going, you know, how do you make such and such or how can I do this? But I learned a lot. I learned a lot by just being with young people, being with other kids. And, yeah, that shaped my life. Just, just I had incredible freedom because, as I say, my mother and father were both out to work all day. I was in charge of the house. I felt very, very grown up. I cooked, I cleaned, I bossed my brothers around, which they have never forgiven me for. And um, they were all in bed and bath by the time my mother came home at seven o'clock in the evening. And, uh, you know, they were allowed to get up then because my mother said it was too early. (laughs) But I thought it was just, I thought it was the right time. I would have put them to bed at one o'clock in the afternoon if I had had my way. You know, but um, I was at really our house. We go to bed. At, we go to bed early, mom, over here just to beat the heat. So well, I like being a bossy mother. It was good. Definitely, definitely. But I didn't find you to be bossy when when I was. No, but I you I was I was very young then, Andrea. You know, you you when you become a mother yourself, you realize, you know, there's a different kind of love there between a mom. And a, and a child and there is between a brother and a sister true true mm-hmm. what about you Majid what do you think it was that shaped you the most over your years um for me as far as the the business side of it the sales side is definitely my dad um he he used to work 13 hour days six days a week and um you know he had basically his breakfast lunch and dinner at work and um he worked the only day he had off was Sunday and I used to go help him out sometimes and work there and work with him. And, and I really learned the foundations of sales from him. He was a master negotiator and um, he would, he, he always negotiated with everything. And, and um, I think for me, I, I learned that foundation from him for sure. Um, it's uh, seeing that. And then at the same time, my mom as well too, she, um, she, she had, she always worked, she was a teacher and, and she worked with some younger kids later on. And um, you know, the challenges of, of um, working with small kids is it's tough and long hours and um, they both really worked hard. Um, 
we 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 had a comfortable life. We didn't have an exceptional, you know, a, a uh, especially uh, a s- exceptional comfortable life. But we had a comfortable life where you know everybody loved each other and was a it was a happy home. And um, you know, I think those are all the things that that shaped our foundations as uh, for our for our current lives. So um, you know, family life, as as Hazel said, is 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 um, is really what sets you up for your future life. And master negotiator, you are having, you know, done some, some amazing deals. And then people call you, right? And ask for tips on how to negotiate with buying things. Yeah. Your friends call on you a lot about that. But me and, but me and your mom are still hanging on for the lottery to win the big jackpot. So, oh, uh, yeah. I'm still doing the lottery. I know. Us too. Yeah. I'm too. I'm, we're at, we're at yeah. 1.5 billion right now. So I'm hoping we can win. So. Well, it's 50 million over here, but it's what you call with the Mickey Mouse money, as you call it. <laughs> so, so it's not quite it's not quite so good for you when I right. divvy it up. <laughs> and I've never bought a lottery ticket in my life, except for, for somebody else that said, go buy me a ticket. And I bought the wrong thing. So <laughs> I don't believe in it personally. I, I believe in, in working for the money, but Majid's holding out. And so are you, mom. Yeah. And I believe in the lottery. Yeah, we're on the same side. <laughs> Somebody's got to win it. True, true. So so um, I'm going to go with mom. What words do you think best describe who you tried to be in life? And how do you want to be remembered looking back? Oh, dear. What words best describe me? I don't know. I think I was... Um, I was resourceful because if I didn't have something, I could make do with something else. I learned how to do things with things that nobody else ever thought about. And I was, I think I was quite frugal. I didn't waste anything, not even paper or cardboard or anything. I cut things up. I I got along with people. My sense of humor got me over uh, a lot of, or got me through a lot of bad patches. And um, yeah, uh, and I think just just ignoring all the things that other people find annoying never annoyed me. I, I didn't get easily annoyed or easily upset. Like some people would say, you hear what he said about me? I wouldn't care what anybody called me because I know who I am and I don't really care if they don't like me or don't appreciate me. doesn't matter. I appreciate me. So that's what counts. I love you that. Mom. I must have got that from you. You did. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? I don't know about words, um, but I think I'm very similar to your mom. It's, um, as long as you do the right thing, you don't have to worry about anything else, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's uh you know that one T-shirt I have, Andrew, that says "Do right and fear done." That's that's really it. You you do the right things, you don't have to worry about anything else. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about what people say or or any what anybody else's opinion is. You know you did the right thing. Uh, hardworking, I think it's for me. It's um I've always worked uh especially hard to just to make sure that my family's taken care of, that my kids never have to worry about something like. You know, if they need something that we can't say, oh, no, we can't afford that or anything like that. If I know there is uh, so many, so many kids that um, don't have the they don't have food, they don't have uh, a home to go to or things like that. So just making sure that our kids have what they need uh, at the same time, making sure that they stay within boundaries and so on. Right. 
And I think the last word might be uh, volunteering as well, too. I um, I volunteered 13 years of my life as a firefighter right outside of New York City. Um, I've been volunteering for all over 20 years in law enforcement as well, too. Um, just giving back, right? It's there's no it's it's 100 percent free. There's no income or anything from it. But I do it because it, it also makes me a better person. It grounds me. It keeps me humble, um, you know. We, we do really well in in um, in our careers, but at the same time, I think it's always good to give back so that it can ground you and make you a humble person as well. And you were volunteering yesterday and, you know, you bring back some of the stories and you share some things that are going on in the world with, with the family so that, you know, we can all see what the world is like uh, outside of our house because I think the kids can get this picture that, Everybody else has everything in the world, but some people don't have their back to school backpacks and life isn't uh, as easy for other people. So I like how you bring the stories back home to kind of open up everybody's eyes. With that. Mm -hmm. um, so then, you know, what do you think I'm going to go to mom? What have you learned about other people in life? I've learned that other people all have their own problems and situations and have different ways of dealing about things. And I've learned to let their opinions of anything about me not bother me. I don't, um, I'll help anybody. I've learned that there are more good people in this world than there are bad people. I steer clear of anybody that gives me the creeps and there are a few because I have this feeling about people and I'm usually right. I, when I feel something isn't right about somebody, I know that there's something wrong. So um, yeah, I think I can, I've learned to read people quite well with my job and my life. I didn't have a privileged life. I, we were quite poor when we were growing up, mostly because it was post-war and there was nothing, nothing you could buy, nothing you could get, nothing. So, um, yeah, I learned to roller skate and with a pair, pair of roller skates, share with my brother, and I always had the left foot. I didn't like that. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's about it, really. Well, you taught me that skill, Mom, to, uh, to read people as well uh, at a young age when I came to you and said, I don't, I don't know if I've got this. And and you worked with me and, and and I think I'm pretty right on with it. And it's very helpful because, you know, you could look at somebody and um, then you just go within your heart and you just feel. And can you share how you how you do it? I look at their eyes. Their eyes tell a whole story. They can be smiling with their mouth, but not with their eyes. So, you know, it's not genuine, you know. So lots of times they could be telling me I'm a wonderful person, but their eyes are cold. And uh, I can tell. Eyes tell everything. They're the windows to your soul. That's what I think. What about Majid? What have you learned about other people in life? So I think it's um, it, it's definitely the gut feeling, right? As far as your, your gut does tell you a lot about people. Uh, tells you about situations about people but what I think I've learned over the years is that you know you, the gut part is 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 part of it right but that at the same time the data is the other part of it right it's um 
So it's not even people, it's any situation, right? If you look at, for example, even like a sales situation, right? Your gut might tell you something, but it's always good to have the data or the research or things like that right behind it as well as you make decisions. But at the same time, going back to people, right? Um, for example, Andrew, like, let's talk about you on this one. This is your 300 episode, right? You've done 300 episodes of podcasts. Um, from at the beginning, right? You just started off right off the bat, right? The first episode I was lucky to be on. And I remember coming home from work, I was traveling and you said, come sit down, I have some questions for you. And next thing I know, the camera's on and we're recording and everything else, but that was episode number one, right? So, so what you learn from people is that you have to respect other people to know what really is important for them. Because um, at the beginning, when you were doing the, the podcast, right, I wasn't really sure like where, where this is going or what, what you were trying to make it or anything like that, but it was your passion, right? It's your whole life you've dedicated to re to um, learning, studying the brain, uh, how people come across, all those things, right? You've written books around it. And um, what the podcast does for you is that it, it really brings in all your past experiences. It brings you to new people who are top level researchers or people that have made an impact to you throughout your life. And you continue to learn from them and you keep building on your knowledge. And it's something that really makes you happy. It's this is this is your passion, right? If it wasn't your passion, you wouldn't you wouldn't have done 300 episodes. You wouldn't be in in 180 I don't want to get in trouble. What is that? 190. 190. Oh, sorry. 190. Almost global. Different, like what countries are we not in? I'm going to go find right. them. Different countries, right? And then at the same time, what is it? Like 350,000 downloads? Yeah. Somewhere around there, right? So which is phenomenal, right? There's a lot of people that say, oh, we're going to do a podcast. They do like one or two episodes and then they're gone, right? They do 10 episodes, they're gone. But you stuck with it, right? Because it's... it's um. It's uh, so not everybody. My, my lesson to this is that not everybody knows what other people's what drives them, what's really important for them. Right. Without knowing that stuff, it's easy to say, oh, this is this is not important or anything like that. But it's respecting other people and understanding what drives them, what's the most important things for them to to have them keep going. Um, and again, this is a testament to you. Right. It's I know you have me and your mom on there, too. Right. But this is your 300th episode, which is amazing. So congratulations for putting in all that work. It's a lot of work, all the pre-work, all this, the research, the studying, reading books, asking questions, editing it. It's a one-woman show, right, from the beginning to the end. And you've, you've done a phenomenal job of doing it. Thank you. And I couldn't have done it without you, for sure. That's what I said, I think, on the 200th episode. And what's kind of interesting is, you know, looking back over the 200 episodes, is so different now looking back from 300 because I could kind of see now what I was doing, you know, along the way, like, what am I doing? I'm grabbing people, I'm learning from them. And then looking back now, I can see how intentional everybody was. It was like the people that impacted me in some way to move me forward, whether personally or professionally, there it's this is my legacy but now i want to glean from everyone and get their legacy and put their words through mine which to me it just blew me away when i heard i heard this from brendan burchard who interviewed his dad um just before he was about to die from cancer and so this is where i thought wow i wanted to do that and i heard that in 2014 and so that's kind of what i was doing 
But looking back now, I thought I've got to make this 300th episode really special, which is why, Mom, I asked you if you would come on. And, and of course, I'm going to grab Majid back again, even though he expects me to pay him for the time <laughs> that we're using here. But, Quite right. Uh, right. right. So, so it's just, you know, learning from each other, respecting each other's um visions and then sharing it with the world. Um, that's that's really what we've done here. Um, and, you know, I just, just want to say, I'll, I'll just say, what am I most proud of in, in life that I stuck this through? This wasn't something I even thought I was going to do in the beginning. So I'm just going to say that this is definitely, I am so proud that I, I made it to 300 because this is it, it was insane work. Mom, what, what would you say you're so proud of in life? Oh, I guess. Um, I, I don't know. I have kept a daily journal through my life, you know. Um, I've filled out hundreds and hundreds of books. Some are still in Great Britain, but I have a few, quite a few here too, you know. And uh, looking back, it's always been people people have made a difference in my life and I might not have known it at the time but looking back and thinking oh yeah that's why I did such and such because of that what that person said and and it led me to different places in my life that were very good for me you know and also some people that I've met have taught me things even if I hadn't liked them very much they've taught me something you know, and uh, I've had amazing experiences, all with people, never, not too many on my own. So I'm, I teach, I taught Sunday school for 25 years. And I just finished two years ago, I gave it up, I'm an elder at my church. And I've done that for the past five years, I get to see people at their best and their worst people that are dying, people that have regrets, people that have done things that they don't like talking about. And it's just been an amazing journey, my life so far. And I try to help where I can. And if I can't help, I'll find someone who can help, you know. And that's that's basically, I think I've had a good life. I've had good kids. I've had some terrible experiences. But if you don't learn from your bad experiences, they're not worth having. So I'm glad I've had the bad things enable to me to learn from them, you know. Absolutely. So I, I don't regret a single thing of my life, good or bad. Love it. What about you, Majid? What are you most proud of? Yeah, I think it's it's the same thing your mom just shared as well too, right? It's that um, the people that you meet, in life they uh they really shape they make they're the ones that make the biggest impact in your life as you move forward um obviously having having good parents as well too uh, where you know they they work so so hard their whole life to provide for you to make sure that you're taken care of and then you take those principles and then you apply to your family to make sure that your family has everything that they need to be to have a comfortable life um and again i'm going to tie it back to um to uh, volunteering as far as law enforcement as well too is that uh, being out there to see what families don't have going into homes where um, there's 20 people living in a two, two bedroom house and the kids are all there's like 10 kids that are to a room sleeping in a room right 
there's garbage piled up all throughout the house. Um, there is no, there's no real resources for the family to see those things and being out there and trying to make an impact, having a conversation with a child sitting out there, right? When the worst thing in the, in their life could be happening inside the house and the kids are sitting out there and then just making sp small talk with them and just uh, making them, making them have a conversation, feel comfortable, giving them stickers, right? We give them, we have these little stickers, these badges that we give them. And you see the kids' faces light up when you give them those stickers and they put them on and it removes them from that whole situation for a couple of seconds, right? Even a couple of seconds, if you can make an impact with those kids, it's it's all worth it. But at the same time, what what makes me the most proud is is the, um, the life that we've been able to build together as a family with our kids and the lives that they have. For me, there, there's nothing else that means more than that. Um, so that's that's definitely, for me, the, the ultimate highlight. I love it. Well, Mom, Hazel, and Majid, I want to thank you both so much for coming on the podcast today and helping me to share your message and your legacy with our listeners, leaving a part of you with what I'm trying to build here. I can't tell you enough how grateful I am to have had this opportunity today to interview both of you at the same time. And I hope your lessons help others. And specifically, I hope that others do this and and interview people who are close to them to glean any type of wisdom that they can learn to help others and move everyone forward. This has been an incredible experience that I'll never forget. Do either one of you have any final thoughts that you want to share? As I, just, I just want to say that I'm very, very grateful that I have such a wonderful family. And that includes you too, Majid. You're part of my family and so are you, Andrea. Definitely. Thanks, Mom. Thank you. Final thoughts? Um, I was going to ask you, so at the beginning, Andrea said, I've only called you Hazel once. Can you can you share <laughs> as far as what happened with the uh, the pool story? As far as her being your uh, your life oh your, uh, you want me to your end, instructor? You want me to end this podcast with that? <laughs> oh, man. So Mom was one of my students, and uh, it wouldn't have done Mom right if I had passed her in nervous novice um, and, and she would have had to have gone to the next class and jumped off the side. So I had to fail my mom. So I, of course I called her Hazel to kind of make the distance Poor mom did not pass my class and I never heard the end of it from everybody, but you know, mom, she you still, wouldn't have like, she still hears about it. Uh, Nanny as well too, just so you know. Right. Yes. And I, I mean, a nervous novice. What a name. <laughs> I, I was a well, mermaid. But, but to put, put it all into perspective, Mom, you had a really rough life and you almost drowned. So yes, you, you weren't did. passing the part of, of nervous novice and, and to put you in the next class where you had to jump off the side. That, that I wouldn't have happen. done it. I wouldn't have done it. I would have stayed away. I wouldn't have come to class anymore. Yes. Um, nervous novice was my was my highlight of, of reaching that, of being able to put my head under the water for five seconds was an amazing thing because I could not do that. And I still don't like swimming. I still hate the water. I hate having any water over my head. I don't like having a shower. I only take a bath. Right. Because no, I, I, I've, I've got control. I don't have water in my eyes, in my mouth, over mm -hmm. my head. That was a terrible feeling. Yeah, but but more importantly, right? It's um, final thoughts, right? It, it, I just wanted to share something that that was funny because I 
I, Nanny, I still give her a hard time, just just so you know, just to make sure that that we're protecting Absolutely, you, you for what he did. But um, but but in all real real um in all re realistic things, right? She's um she's 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 an amazing person, and and she mm -hmm. she always shares about um all the highlights that you've taught her over the years, right? So I think a, a lot of you has gone into who she is today. So thank you. Yeah, she sort of it looks like me too in a way. Many many people say that Andrea looks like right. me. I look like Andrea. I don't know which way it goes. Yeah. But I'm proud of you both. You've done extremely well. And you've got a wonderful life and family. And it's all down to you two guys because you did it on your own because I certainly never lifted you up with any cash from the lottery. I'm still waiting. We're still in it. No, right. <laughs> yes, we're <still> <laughs> well, Mom, thanks for role modeling the way, and thanks, Majid. You're welcome. Thanks, Andrew, for having us on. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Some final thoughts. All episodes are special and important to me, but this one came full circle from where we began in June of 2019. Some things aren't easy to see looking forward, but so clear when you connect the dots looking backwards, like Steve Jobs is famous for saying. When I asked my mom to come on the podcast and record an episode with my husband, I had no idea we would record the weekend before my mom's 80th birthday on August 10th. So I knew I had to release this episode on her 80th birthday as a thank you for all she's done that took me to where I am today. It was my mom, Hazel, who sat with me every morning, planning the best way for me to move to the United States and what I would do when I arrived in early 2001. She didn't foresee September 11th happening or any of the hardships that I'd face, but she told me many times it would be hard work, but I would be very happy. So I believed her because over the years I learned to trust her instinct and magical intuition. I know she worked hard to develop her intuition. She would spend hours every night in this room in our home studying for these work tests in the insurance industry. She would call them her Lomas tests. And after she'd passed all these tests, I noticed she was still studying every night. And I wondered what she was studying. And I knew in my heart it was important work. My mom worked hard at her craft. But she worked equally as hard at developing the faculties of her mind and in her own way, helping others to do the same. And if you ask me, this is what gave her an edge over others in her life. It helped her through difficult times raising us kids. We weren't that easy. And especially helped her when she had to overcome uterine cancer. I noticed the hard work that she put into this study. And watching her motivated me to do the same. It's sort of contagious when you see someone else working hard and yielding the results from this work. And this is what I'm doing when I'm driven to keep learning and sharing with you here on the podcast. I want to carry my mom's legacy forward in my work. So to close out our 300th episode, I'll review the top 12 life lessons that I picked out from her words today, and I hope it helps you as much as it's helped me. Lesson number one, be clear about the part of your life that shapes you the most. She remembered hers, and I know mine. It's not the easy times that I know changed me. 
it's the difficult, challenging times. So if you're in difficult and challenging times now, know they'll end and you'll be a better person because of them. Lesson two, say yes to every job to move your career forward. I talk about this in my most recent book, Level Up, in the chapter on persistence with the words of the late Art Linkletter who had no business experience, but he created a highly popular TV show back in the 50s and the 60s. It was called Kids Say the Darndest Things. When I heard him speak years ago, his whole message was about persistence, saying he had to interview 27,000 children to get the ones that were really good that went on television. He also mentioned his biggest regret in life was saying no to a business opportunity with his good friend Walt Disney, who took him to these orange groves and tried to paint the picture of Disneyland for him, but he couldn't see his friend's vision. So now he says, say yes to everything, just like my mom said, so you don't miss out on an important partnership like Art did with Disneyland. Lesson three, keep learning new skills. And this is what I watch my mom doing all those nights after long days at her office. And this is what motivates me to keep learning. What is it that keeps you coming back and learning from podcasts or listening to us today? Lesson four, have a sense of humor. And this one I don't have any tips for. This is not my strength. My husband Majid is better at this one than me as I'm usually the serious one. So I've got to practice this one a bit more. Lesson five, learn how to solve difficult problems and know where to go when you get stuck with something. This is one of the reasons why I do this podcast, to share tools and resources that can all move us forward with our physical and mental health. Lesson six, learn to be resourceful. This is something I remember John Asraf saying in our interview together back on episode 39 that made a difference in his early life. He talked about ways he would think creatively when he didn't have enough money to do things. And this creativity spilled over into his life today, helping us to see ways forward around roadblocks. And lesson seven, always learn from others. If you keep reading books, listening to ideas, you can always learn to do some outstanding things all from others. Lesson eight, there's more good people in the world than bad. See the good in people. And we covered this on episode 214 with Marie Gervais and her book, The Spirit of Work. Lesson nine, learn to read people. My mom taught me theory of mind that we covered on episode 46 when I told her that I needed help with this skill. We took this a whole bunch of levels deeper with episode 163 with Dan Hill, he's called the Faces Guy, on his episode that taught us how to read the emotions in others in schools, sports, and the workplace. This skill, when practiced, will give you information quickly about another person because our eyes really are the mirrors to our soul. Lesson 10. Thank people who've moved you forward somehow. That was the whole point of this episode that I mentioned in the backstory. Find those who've helped you along the way and then let them know. Lesson 11. Learn from our challenging experiences. And this one doesn't need any explanation. Finally, lesson 12. The last words of wisdom from my mom. Have no regrets in life. 
And with that, I'll close out our 300th episode dedicated to my mom, Hazel, on her 80th birthday. Happy birthday, mom. I love you and I'm so grateful to have had this opportunity to record your words of wisdom for myself and others around the world to hear. I also want to honor the wisdom from all our past guests today as we reach this important milestone, our 300th episode, and I'll see you next week. you're enjoying the neuroscience meets social and emotional learning podcast please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes while you're there please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us for more information on our programs books and tools for schools and the workplace visit us at www.achieveit360.com 